Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Hey, Scott. How was your weekend? What went on for you? Did you go to the Tulsa rally? No, my nobody, did. Was, nobody did. Nobody did. My weekend was great. I had a great Father's Day. I decided to be my dad, and I woke up at 6 a.m. and gave everyone a hard time for not getting up earlier. I complained about the coffee maker, bought a local <laughs> newspaper, ate a bunch of seafood, called the GPS stupid, and reorganized the garage. Yeah. The great comedy of Simon <laughs> Holland. This guy is amazing. This Who guy is, is, you, are you he repeating is so someone's... good. He brings so much joy to my Twitter feed. Oh, good, good, good. That's good. But you what had a you nice do? prom. I saw that you had prom. A prom. We had prom. My son did a prom for his girlfriend. He didn't get to do prom because of COVID-19. Uh, and so he set up his prom. And it was like it was like the end of contagion, really. That's what it was. It was just him and his girlfriend. And he set up lights and crepe paper in this barn that we're near. We're, we have a barn, like an empty barn, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful and romantic. He dressed up. Uh, he just did a he did a beautiful dinner before. He's just such a my son is really wonderful. I'm sorry, he's really the best child. So anyway, so he was great. So he I took some nice pictures. He's better he, than the other one. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. The other better one's great. The other, one? the other one is great. The other one wanted to play basketball during the prom because there's a basketball hoop in the barn, but we didn't let him do that. We thought it was not, mm -hmm. not the time to do that. But it was lovely. No, they're both amazing. All my children are amazing. I love them. I had a nice Father's Day, too, because that's what they said. Happy Father's Day to you me. what I do. I rank them. No. And I post the ranking. <laughs> no, I shall not. They all have their own qualities. Anyway, <laughs> there's so much going on. Let's talk about teens. Speaking of teens, the K-pop TikToker mm -hmm. users encourage your fans to snatch up uh, free limited seating tickets to Trump's Tulsa rally. It's unclear whether they really did have an impact, but I love the whole prank. The result, uh, they said, was that uh, fewer Trump supporters actually attended the rally. I'm not so sure. I just think people didn't want to go because of COVID and because the act is getting a little... Uh, long in the tooth. Um, but it was a really kind of an interesting movement that these kids uh, did this, these teens. It was sort of, um, you know, someone was like, it, you know, it's just like the movie Star Wars, the Death Star gets taken down by a bunch of untrained teenagers. Um, because Death Star was what uh, Brad Parscale referred to as the Trump campaign, which is kind of a stupid 
metaphor, of course, but he is not the smartest man on the block, I guess. Anyway, it was interesting. What did you think of this? What did you, I think it was an interesting attempt. I don't know. No one's going to figure out whether it caused, they're denying it. The campaign says it didn't happen, but it kind of did a little bit. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, it initially kind of tickled my tribal sensors. And then as I thought about it, I thought if the GRU had figured out a way to use platforms to reduce the turnout at a Hillary rally, we'd all be screaming that it was election interference. So I just don't like the idea of platforms that are domained in countries outside of the U.S. monkeying with our um, elections in our in, in any way. So I, I you know, well, my also, first thing was kind was of a thrill because I don't. I, it was also a cake prop group. It wasn't just TikTokers. I don't know. I don't know. I think, look, like pranking has been a part of campaigns. This was like U.S., you know, like it was not out of a foreign country. I think the difference is enormous. Well, okay. But if this happens, if this happens for Biden, will you have the same sort of, yes, oh, shucks, yes. isn't that cute? Tony yes, right yes I will, because Biden yeah. doesn't have these campaigns. What I, don't I think, think is. So. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think I would. I think I would. I because think you're first playing of all, basketball outside my no, makeshift prom right now. No, I am not. No, listen to me. Listen to me. Look, Biden doesn't have these things, but Trump spends <laughs> a lot of time bragging, like a million this. They lie continually. Yeah, and to be found out I on a lie, is, this is a very different situation. I do see, I, like, I, it does tickle you, but it's at the same time, it's just kind of, I like pranking in politics, like pranking. This was not what was going on. I don't think it did impact the numbers. Yeah. I think the numbers were down because, and of course, the, the, the campaign. Yeah, Lied, I don't think lied that was almost it. continually, which even Chris Wallace Agreed. at at Fox was like, "Oh, it was the protesters. No, they didn't block anything. Oh, it was this. Oh, it was that." They the issue is that this particular, and I think it's a media thing, is not working anymore. This show is getting tired, even for its most uh, most users. You I predicted this. You yeah. said people are going to get yeah. exhausted. Well, it's yeah, tiring. It's right. the same old, same old. Right. Him drinking water, his walking, his dumb jokes. It's like it's literally like looking at like. Um, Henny Youngman today, right? He's not Dave Chappelle anymore. Let's just say he's not like he's not Youngman. Yeah, you do you? Well, after a while, it gets tired. I'm just saying all these acts. My wife, please, please, right? That's always a great joke. But but I have to say, after a while, he gets tired. He has to have something other than he is an aggrieved person. Other than the media's fault. Other than you know, it's just the same. It's like the the greatest hits. Someone said it was like. You know, someone coming out and singing like Freebird for the 20th time. Uh, so I don't know. I just feel like he's got to have actually something to say, just like any politician. You can't just rely on Well, he said screaming. something. He said that he's informed the administration to slow down testing, yeah, which I, I think makes a lot of sense. I think <laughs> I that know. makes a lot of, of sense. Of course, today they're doing a flippy-do <laughs> and saying, actually, we're going to have a fall resurgence. Yeah. I mean, the whole no, the excuses are just ridiculous. I know. Yeah, right. Whatever. I yeah. just think he needs some message that is not this. And so he's got to come up with some message, just like all politicians. And, um, and I think people are bored of it, bored of it, and they need something else. And they're bored of the exhaustion too, because all he does is make trouble. And now he's the, in charge. He's got to actually have a plan. And I think that's really, I think people are tired of no plans anyway. I don't know. It's a, it was a media disaster for him and it was of his own making. Uh, you know, it wasn't the media, it wasn't anybody else. And everybody was waiting for it to happen. So. Agreed. All right. Pinterest, uh, we talked about this this week. Uh, a, a Business Insider reports that at least 11 employees, several of whom, uh, um, several of them uh, were uh, black, have come forward to say they were pushed out of the company with no explanation, while others say they were verbally abused by managers. So Pinterest has some reckoning to do. I talked to a lot of Pinterest people over the weekend, you know, especially in the alumni groups, and they all are sort of talking about this in these groups. And and one of them said, you can't just, um, you just can't uh, uh, add on diversity. It, it, you can't just add it on at the, when 
now that you have this reckoning situation. It was a really it's there's really not an interesting. App for that? No, there's, there's not, not an, an app, app for you can it. download no. called Diversity, uh, Diversity Now. I think this is going to re- go through all these companies. Like there's going to be story after story after story. Rip through. Yeah, rip through. Hundred percent. You know, nineteen. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but it was. Uh, it's a different thing. But it's how do you it's look a at this? What would you, I get that. I get what you're doing. But what what would you what what do you, how do you, would you advise these companies? I mean, it is what it is. They behaved the way they behaved, and so what do you what would you what would be the best thing to do to respond? Uh, well, I can tell you what I'm, what, uh, I'm trying to do or mm-hmm. what I think the, or I'm telling companies to do or these companies are trying to do. Uh, and we're dealing with this. I'm on a lot of advisory and um, boards, private and public. I think the first thing you got to do is it starts at the top. The board of directors picks the CEO. The CEO picks people, uh, uh, senior managers around him and her. And there's just a natural tribal instinct to develop relationships with people who look like you. So you have to mix it up. You have to have some form of affirmative action. Not being overtly racist is not enough. And uh, so I think at a board level, you have to immediately commission searches to make sure your board looks, smells, and feels like not only America, but your consumer base and your company, and most do not. I also think there is a uh, transition, and that is this is no longer about communications. This is no longer about Edelman and your agency. This is about Uh, not only committing to actions, but taking action swiftly and word will get out just as word gets out on whether your hotel has bad towels or whatever because of the transparency of these platforms, your actions absolutely get out. Also, and this is less aspirational, I think there need to be some firings. It just strikes me that when we're talking about this, that uh, uh, people seem to be very forgiving of these organizations where you found out, oh, there was this kind of accidental systemic racism like we what can we learn from this you know at google at facebook and retailers they fire people if they figure out the wrong trend in pants two seasons in a row and all of a sudden there's all this empathy for managers who have accidentally overseen systemic racism well guess what there needs to be i believe there needs to be some 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 firings and most of these people the reason why senior managers make 2 to 300 times or exponentially more than than the average salary is that the buck stops with them, full stop. I've been fired before, it sucks. Sometimes it's not your fault, but just as you get an undue amount of the upside and the credit when uh, when unfortunately, accidentally, things are really good, when unfortunately, accidentally, there's been systemic racism in your company, heads gotta roll. That's what I would do, Kara. Scott, I agree with you completely. Heads rolling is what we're looking for, but let's move on to big stories. Uh, speaking of someone who's trying to change things, a former Google exec who was at the top of Google and, in fact, was one of the people in contention for CEO, is building a company with a goal of competing with the mega search engine. Neva is the new search engine. It won't show any advertisements. The CEO, uh, Sridhar Ramaswamy, says it will not collect or profit from user data. The company plans to make money on subscriptions from users paying for the service. Um, he, Sridhar was, I've known him very well, was at Google for 15 years running the company's ad business. So he was in charge of its biggest, um, business was moneymaker and he knows pretty much everything about how Google works. He felt disillusioned with the company after major advertisers were inadvertently making money off of illegal content like child pornography. It's a pretty ambitious plan, uh, uh, considering that Google owns about 90% of all global internet searches. Yeah. Um, 
Scott, would you, and they're using a uh, Bing, which I, everyone made fun of, but Bing is actually a very good technology. It just didn't mm-hmm. hit like Google did. Um, would you, I, I want to stay away from the Bing part, but you, you know, it talked a lot about DuckDuckGo and others and mm-hmm. wishing there was a, an alternative. Is it possible to compete against Google and would you invest in the company? Uh, not only, yeah. So if Sridhar calls me and lets me invest, I'm in. Um, this is, mm-hmm. there is a huge opportunity. If you think about the most impressive or innovative e-commerce company of the last 10 years, most people would immediately say Amazon. I would say relative to where mm-hmm. it was 10 years ago, I would argue that it's Shopify. And yeah. these companies become so dominant and they can't resist but to leverage their monopoly power to the point where they create a pool of ill will the size of the Atlantic, which creates huge opportunity. In steps Shopify, we're not taking your data. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna let you keep the brand. And boom, they build tens of billions of dollars in value. The opportunity for an anti-Google Google is enormous here. And in while people uh, critics immediately go to, well, they're just white labeling being search engines similar to what Asti said. No, they're not. They're actually, they will go into your email files and your own files and search them. But because they're not advertising driven, because they're not like Google that used to take you to the best place, but now it takes you to the next place that they can monetize. If you go to subscription, you return to the purity of search and it immediately unlocks an ability such that even if he doesn't have the 7,000 engineers of Google, he can build a superior search engine because his business model is not cancerous it's based so it's on like subscription it's, it's not sort of like driven. apple sort of the fancy the, the, they, they can focus on privacy so why is it different from DuckDuckGo? because you you made you know people duck duck go their model is so Google, duck, duck, go, their model is yeah. we don't use data for targeting which gets you halfway there but it's still mm-hmm. an ad driven model it's not a subscription right. model the gangster move here the reason why this could be the next hundred billion dollar a value company is they're going Netflix, they're going iOS, and they're saying for people who don't trust Google, for people who recognize that Google runs on rage, for people who recognize that Google has a profit incentive to ignore child pornography or the radicalization of young men, I am willing to pay five, 10 bucks a month for better search and a better organization. It's a different business. This is, I think this is incredibly well, exciting. It's interesting so would I invest? Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, he, Sridhar, I'm talking to him later today uh, for a column. Um, I've known him for a long time, and obviously he wanted to be CEO of Google, even though he kind of denies it, but he was definitely in the running. It was either it was Sundar and he, he, he was at the top of that company. He created this. So what do you say to him? Like, is that he, you know, he's found the light or what, why is he better suited given he's the one that made Google into what Google is today? Well, there's a lot of these guys, and I think there's I think there's correct scrutiny when you make a lot of these people see the light, like a Republican senator sees the light around Trump about the time they announce that they're not running for reelection. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of former Facebook executives that once they've cashed yeah. their check or their options, all of a sudden they decide Facebook is eagle, evil. Mm-hmm. But he's not, I don't think he's lecturing Google as much as he said, I wasn't comfortable with some of the, where this mm-hmm. had evolved. I've left and I'm starting a competitor. I, I don't... Mm-hmm. More power to them. I'm 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 right. excited then, about this. I don't know if it'll be uh, successful. I think they yeah. are an aggressive. I would pay for it. Monopoly. I would certainly pay for something Sridhar would yeah. do. I have well, to let's say, sign up. Very you know, I'll sign up and we'll do a right, product review on but, it. But let's uh, let me let me ask you a question. Dave Morin left Facebook a million years ago. People forgot about Path, and remember, it ended up selling to some billionaire yeah. from Thailand. I think I forget where it got sold, but. Um, 
it, he tried that. He tried to create a better social engine, uh, social service called Path, where people were together. I was in it, and and people paid for it, and it didn't work. It didn't. It didn't. And he was a top executive yeah. at Facebook, one of the creators, one of the I would say a very important early creator of Facebook. How, what what would you say he needs to do here to prove out his point? Oh, I, I look. It, it, we no longer live. Unfortunately, we no longer live in an innovation economy. We live in an exploitation economy. But beyond that, if you look at the majority of the market capitalization gains over the last five years, you can reverse engineer it to a driver who's making less than minimum wage, a teen that's depressed. I mean, we have moved into full blown exploitation. However. If if this guy if this guy can build a search engine in a unique way of helping you get to the best place, finding you the best information as opposed to the information mm-hmm. Google can further monetize, and he's clearly it sounds to me like he's got the chops, and most importantly in this age of monopoly, yes. this monopoly era, attract a ton of cheap capital such that he can build his future. I think he's got a real shot. But yeah, yeah. the odds aren't good. It's just in yeah. on an, in an asymmetric. On a risk-adjusted basis, if this works, the upside is pretty dramatic because this this market is gigantic, and if and it's ninety-three percent of it is controlled by one player. It's good for Google. It's good for Google one to have competition and two to be like, Agreed. look, there's other people innovating because there has not been a new search engine since forever. I mean, really, I mean, Google should be in the crosshairs of the Justice Department. Uh, and, and this creates anything that creates more innovation is something I am for. All right. Enough of that, Kara. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll speak to our friend of Pivot. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, welcome back. Let's move on to Friend of Pivot. We have a person on the line. His name is John Rice. John is the founder and CEO of Management Leadership for Tomorrow, a nonprofit that works to empower and elevate Black and other people of color into leadership positions in order to close economic disparities. John, welcome to Pivot. Thank you so much for having me. So you recently wrote an op-ed in The Atlantic, which I thought was great, called The Difference Between First-Degree Racism and Third-Degree Racism. Can you talk a little bit about this and, and what, you, what you were getting at in, in the essay itself? Yeah. So my thesis was really to, to think about you know, uh, how do we move forward you know, in, a, in a time now where you know, at this moment we've seen a lot of encouraging statements from leaders 
yeah, I think there's a real realization and kind of what I call kind of an employer America in particular that you know where we are is not acceptable. Uh, and uh, I think there's a you know, there's a thirst for needle moving actions and not just talking about problems. And uh, and so I so I as I think about it from a needle moving standpoint, you know, is there a conviction? Okay, uh, for you know, for change. And I, I say I'm optimistic, you know, just as context here in terms of, because I just think that there's really, for, for leaders in this country, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I think they're feeling pressure externally and, mm-hmm. and internally in their organization. So my thesis in the piece uh, was essentially that what we need to do now is to think about uh, how to increase the cost of racist behavior. Uh, and I, I try to dimensionalize racist behavior um, in three ways. And I felt that the, the, our first challenge when we think about how to move forward on racism is we don't have it. We're not really aligned on, on what it looks like. And we're pretty clear that, you know, uh, that, uh, around, you know, the core, you know, doing racist and prejudiced things like calling someone the N word and dis- mm-hmm. you know, discriminating against someone openly, uh, policing black people different than whites, that, that sort of, you know, pretty clear, and there, we, there's there's real movement as it relates to policing reform. We just need to elevate the cost of of bad policing, okay? And that's mm-hmm. not as easy as it sounds, but that will move the needle. But then I, you know, I wanted to to focus on the other two areas that I think are uh, uh, important, which is you know what I call the sort of second degree racism, which essentially is you know not standing up to anti racist uh, uh, actions, uh, and and then and and then the third, which I've really focused on the most of the pieces, is. is you know, um, what is there really a category of, I think, what uh, most people would consider to be, uh, you know, institutional racism. Uh, mm-hmm. And I took a little bit of a different tact in the sense that uh, in calling this racism in the third degree, okay, which is that, you know, where we're not trying to really hurt anybody, uh, but we created the conditions where somebody else's aspirations were really shattered right. for their future. Uh, and, and so, uh, this is, you know, this, I would argue is the, the catalyst for, for really moving the needle on race overall. Can I ask you the idea of the third area, which I think people have been talking about, not saying you're not racist, but being actively anti-racist is one thing. And the second part is how do you bolt it onto companies? Cause I was in some of the Pinterest groups this weekend. I know you advise companies, you've advised Fox media, I believe, is that correct? Yeah. Um, and others, um, how do you advise them? Because bolting on this after the fact or trying to sort of say the words but not actually do the actions, so many people of color have told me they get them get people in there and then they don't do the training, they don't change the actual system, and therefore there's a higher uh, failure rate of making this a, a, a diverse. How do you get them bolting it on to do it? What has to happen in order not just realizing it but doing something? Yeah. Well, l- let me start by sort of, painting the picture of probably you get put some context around the kinds of responses that you get when you're uh, engaging CEOs, especially in tech and beyond, you know, sort of, you know, well, you know kind of how do we get there? Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. th- I think the context is that, that, you know, we're clearly not doing you know, what I would call sort of racism in the first degree, you know, the doors are open to these organizations uh, uh, and no one's holding people back from getting in and, 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 and so forth. But, uh, that that kind of environment now, the, where we're our sort of post civil rights movement, allows folks to convince themselves that their organizations are meritocratic, uh, and it also helps you discount the noise when you hear individual cases of folks, uh, 
you know, not performing the way they should. So in the, in the context mm-hmm. right now, here's the, here's the first problem, which is, uh, uh, you know, we're in a world where, you know, uh, and I'll use the old axiom, you know, sort of when failure is not punished, failure proliferates, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, so there aren't costs to being bad. And then there also aren't really many benchmarks around what good looks like. And then the third component is uh, that uh, organizations and leaders actually don't feel they have a clear how to move the needle. Uh, and, yeah. and that's not, you know, just internally, but it's also people on their boards and, and folks from the outside, the advocates are actually struggling, you know, uh, for, you know, the, the how-to playbook. And, and so when I think about it, I'll give you an example, you know, uh, when, when you hear, and I know, you know, you've heard, we've all heard many times or, uh, leaders say, well, we'd love to move the needle on, uh, on diversity, on tech talent in particular, but, uh, you know, until we address the pipeline issues, there's only so much we can do. You know, the reality of that, that it's not the pipeline that's small. It's actually the number of folks that they know is small. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I asked, you know, so, the, so you ask a, a leader, well, uh, how many people color were, you know, were at your wedding or at your, one mm-hmm. of your kids' weddings and so forth. So, you know, and, and when you think about the pipeline, I use the, uh, analogy, uh, you know, uh, sort of, it's sort of the, in the oil business, right. And in the oil business, mm-hmm. You know, you would never, you know, wait for the stream of crude oil, you know, to explode out of the ground like in Beverly Hillbillies or, can it, or flow right by mm-hmm. your office and put a spigot on it, right? What you do is you invest, you know, in you know, case of, you know, oil yeah, uh, companies, 100%. Billions, right? And identifying mm-hmm. where that black hole may be, drilling down to find it, bringing it out of the ground, you know, uh, in, to our refineries, right? So the key here, you know, for how to, in, in terms of the advice I give is, you know, uh, you have to invest in cultivating that pipeline. Set aside resources that will only focus, okay, in your recruiting operations, only focus on cultivating relationships uh, uh, with uh, talent of color. Uh, and, uh, and, and think about it this way. It's sort of what you see right now at these, you know, in particular at tech companies that are scale hiring organizations, what you see is their focus is uh, about um, identifying jobs and trying to find people of color who fit those jobs right now. Yeah. And the reality is what you have to do is flip the script. You have to say, invest in the, you know, in, in cultivate that pipeline and then find people of color, great talented folks for, you know, f- first and then find jobs for them. Right. And, right. and take a longer right. term approach. And that's sort of you know, the idea of like, it's a, the, the framing is wrong. And then the actual ha- tactics are wrong. And, and all we need to do is actually tweak our, recruiting and advancement uh, in, in uh, machines in our organizations so that they work for diverse talent. So it's not rocket science, but you actually have to have a rigorous approach, a rigorous plan, and then the how-to, and then the tactical you know, bandwidth to execute just like you do everything else in your business. Yeah, so we were talking about this off mic, John, or just before you came on. You know, if, I think it starts at the top, that if, if you wanted to have the most impact you'd have, you'd focus first on boards of directors, which would lead to more uh, CEOs of color. And so what is it, 13 or 14% of America is black, but in the Fortune 500, there are four black CEOs as we stand here today. So less than 1%. What, you know, can you find, or what do you think, and I realize it's a complicated problem, but what do you think, what's going on here? Why do less than 1% of Fortune 500 companies have a black CEO? Yeah. We're going to need a bigger boat. Well, well first of <laughs> all, I question. would say, 
um, it is not the pipeline. Okay. Yep. No, um, it's not I'm tired and, of the pipeline issue. Right. right. But, but there's gotta be, I mean, honestly, if we're going to put the pipeline issue to bed, uh, and take it off the table as an excuse, you know, we need to look analytically at that pipeline. Okay. And, and if you look mm-hmm. back and I just, I started to go back to this around, you know, in the tech sector, right. But, because I've done the numbers oh, please okay? do. and, uh, um, you know, if you think about that as one of the areas in our country where this, they're really important for wealth, you know, creation, uh, and job creation, uh, and, and so forth. So if you think about the pipeline for tech and just talk about tech talent, which is where I hear, you know, many a CEO saying the pipeline is there. If you look at, just go back to the national science foundation data from five years ago. Okay. And I, I'm sure it's even better today, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, with, you know, 2 million or so, you know, college graduates. Okay. Uh, if you, you know, overall, okay. If you, uh, f- by the way, you know, call it, you know, 450,000 of those 450,000, uh, uh col- four year college grads a year are black and Hispanic in this country. Okay. Uh, f- one, and then we go to tech, um, and, you know, kind of looked at the numbers and if you actually, if you dig down, uh, um, there are, you know, there are, a uh, hundred thousand folks, okay, of all backgrounds, who are getting engineering degrees, you know, uh, under you know, BS is in engineering. Twenty-two percent of those, okay, are black and Hispanic. And then you look at computer science degrees, sixty thousand, okay, nationally. Twenty-two percent of those folks, okay, another thirteen thousand math degrees, right? Twenty, you know, five k. Right. So you got right. a pipeline of, you know, you have a pipeline of forty thousand black and Latino college graduates a year who are either engineering, math, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, computer science. That's 200,000 over the last five years, because that number is 2015 from the National Science Foundation. So the argument that, that you know, with 200,000, you can't actually build your pipeline. So that's the early stage, okay? And Scott, that doesn't address, you know, the, the CEO, but it, it, mm-hmm. it addresses the, you know, why we can't build the early pipeline. Actually, it's there, and it goes back to the oil dish, you know, uh, analogy. It's actually refinery issue, right? What we're not doing, okay, is yeah. cultivating, Processing. exposing... And help uh, and and helping to you know to prep that talent to make the transition from what they're learning in college to what you're looking for on the job. That's all happening informally in our networks that are you know obviously uh, more weighted toward I, people who are not of color. Yes, I've never believed their pipeline argument, and I think their focus on unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. I'm always like it's completely yeah. conscious. I think they sort of lay they they sort of give themselves an out in that a lazy out in that way. But one of the things that I've heard from a lot of people of color who work at these is these HR departments that really don't work for the employees. They work for the company. And so a lot of the stuff is when each of them, whether it's not just people of color, but women have an issue, it's always the onus is on the employee who is sort of, you're not fitting in right. You're not. So everybody feels like something's wrong with them. Um, And I think just so many stories has this, have the same you know, trajectory to me. And it's never the company that's the problem. And it's because I think HR really does work. They don't really work for the, they're not human resources, they're company resources. I don't know what else to call them. How do you solve that? How do you get that HR department on the side of employees? Right. To what Scott was saying, it starts at the top. Okay. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. uh, and it starts with understanding at the CEO level, you know, what is helping the people who are getting to the top? What's facilitating their their trajectory to the top, who are largely you know white and white male, okay? And then what's different for people of color? What they're missing is that the experience for Black and uh, Latino 
Native American folks in these organizations is completely different than that of their white peers. So we spend as a, you know, as a black male, you know, we, you know, we spend literally a third of our brain, you know, bandwidth, our energy in every meeting of every day, twirling questions around in our head around, do I measure up? Am I viewed as, you know, as capable? Uh, Why aren't there more people here like me? Uh, And those types Mm -hmm. of questions, okay, again, take away your bandwidth from focusing on the content. Okay, and but but and when you're when you're dealing with those kinds of questions in your head, not um, it also leads to behavior that doesn't help you advance. You, you you're you're less likely to take risk when people reach out to you and you're trolling those types of questions in your head, and, and they're trying to give you constructive feedback. You're not sure where it's coming from, a place of building you up or taking you down. When people are trying to, to mentor you, you're not you're you're less likely to trust. So so not only are you competing against white peers who are spending. Zero percent of their day-to-day bandwidth, and you know, never distracted by those issues in any meeting of any day. Okay, but you're also uh, uh, more prone to to navigate differently. So that's the you know the the essence of a diverse experience in these organizations when you are one of a few. Uh, and so the first step is for organizations to actually understand that this, these things are happening, right? Um, and and then if they're happening, then you would say, well. We need to move beyond unconscious bias training, diversity training, right? What you mm-hmm. need to do, actually. Right. Uh, and we also, we also can't just focus on sponsorship and mentoring. What you actually need to do is take right. a page out of the, the world of sports, okay? You know, which, by the way, is the only place in our society right now where if you have talent, regardless of your race or socioeconomic background, you don't get lost. And then one of the distinguishing factors you know, that we should bring to the world of, uh, you know, of, to the professional world mm. outside of sports, where 99% of us are pursuing our career, is, is the understanding that to bring the high accountability, safe place coaching, the kind of coaching you get in sports that's distinct from mentoring. You know, the only way you deal with, with those kinds of questions in, in people's minds that I mentioned is actually to have the frequency, the engage, and get you know, a, the kind of uh, you know, personal, uh, under the, uh, the surface relationship with folks in your organization to understand what they're dealing with and then to be to provide practical advice for navigating an environment where there isn't critical mass of diverse talent. So, so you have to actually have different interventions, coaching plus mentoring plus sponsorship, and those would come out of a, a better articulation, understanding of their underlying problems, the underlying drivers of where you are. And that's how you would solve it. It's just like any right. other problem okay. in business. Yeah. All right. I have one final question. What advice would you have for white executives and board members? If you had to give, like, from your perspective, what, when you give advice yeah. to these executives, yeah. large, most of whom are white, yeah. um, or the board members, what is the hardest yeah. piece of advice you give, give them from your perspective that they should listen to? Well, it's twofold. One, I, the first thing I do is I'll ask them, you know, do you have a strategic plan overall for your company, you know, for the next three to five years? Of course, the answer is yes. Do you have one for, uh, for diversity and inclusion? And they'll say, kind of, right? Is it, you know, ask them, is it as comprehensive yeah. as your overall strategic plan? And they'll say no. And I said, well, then how can you possibly, you know, uh, uh, conclude that you're taking your best shot, right? Uh, so I've really challenged them to unpack what they're doing currently um, and try to encourage them to elevate the level of rigor uh, um, around uh, their approach to diversity. So that, that, that approach to diversity doesn't compromise excellence, okay, and doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the first thing. And the second thing, right, you know, if, right. when I get the question here uh, that, well, you know, we have, uh, you know, we're really making an effort to hire more diverse talent. And this gets back to the CEO pipeline, Scott. 
you know, at the, we're at the mid and, and senior levels where, you know, we hire, we bring people in, they look, they're a players on paper. Uh, and for some reason, when they get here, um, they're, you know, B and C players they are not performing at the levels that, uh, mm-hmm. that we would expect. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, uh, and, and so the advice I give them is to, is, is to understand that I say, well, and, and I'll do this with a smile on my face. I'll say, do you like to dance? Right. And most white male executives, not all. Okay. <laughs> but most white male executives will say, they'll say, well, you know, not really. Okay. I'll say, well, you know, those few occasions. Yeah. Right? Oh, that is so unfair. Right? I feel well, triggered. Okay, there we go. So, uh, no. so, so, um, so I'll say, I'll say to them, uh, you know, those few occasions where you actually have to head out on the dance floor around, you know, with around people who are important to you, whether it's somebody's wedding, it's a corporate event. Yeah. I'll ask them, you know, walk me through the feeling in your, you know, in your heart and your mind that's going, you know, that you have as you're heading out on the dance floor, right? And uh, and what I will hmm. get, okay, in the vast majority of cases are a few adjectives, okay? They are uh, everything from awkward, zero confidence, right? Um and that and yeah. to to the you know to the Southwest Airlines you know I want to get away right uh, and I say to them okay well the good news mm-hmm. is is that your you know your your confidence in your level of dancing is not ever going to hold you back from your career standpoint but if you think about it when you are one of a few okay um, people of color uh, um, that the words that you're using to describe how you feel in dance floor are exactly how we feel in every meeting of every day of our career yep. and when you're competing yep. against folks in That's our a great way and so I, so when they when they think of when they get that and sort of and feel the the visceral understanding of what it's like then then we can move on to a, you know a a, a a set of action steps that that they're much more prone to buy into because they understand the problem uh, at a more granular level and my well, solution for the kind. dancing problem is vodka which doesn't translate <laughs> okay, to the corporate world very well <laughs> All right, John. Uh, Scott, do you have any more questions for John? What piece of advice would you give to a 25-year-old person of color, a young man or woman of color who's ambitious, wants to be that CEO? What one piece of advice would you give them in terms of their approach to their career? The the, the one most important thing that I would tell them is to study the people who are getting to the top, okay? Um, And and try to analytically understand what the bar is for the people who are getting promoted to those senior levels. And, and that bar is going to include, you know, what are they really good at from a you know, skill standpoint? Uh, it's going to be, what have they done from an accomplishment standpoint and who's been leaning in on their behalf. Right. And so you have to understand what is the bar to get to the next level. And ultimately What's the bar to getting to the senior levels? And the only way to understand that, because of course, in our organizations, we don't tell you what that bar is. Okay, we don't tell you what you have to demonstrate. Uh, so you have to look at the people who have gotten promoted to those levels, study them, and then uh, and, and then art, you know, articulate. Well, what have they done? And then then you, we have to emulate that. So you so this is you know just like again just like in sports, you under, you get clear on what it, you have to demonstrate to get to the next level, and then compare yourself from skills, from accomplishments and experience, from a relationship standpoint, compare yourself to that success model. And it's probably not going to be a person of color success model, but that's, you know, that's fine. And then you've got to go out and close that gap. And if, when it comes to getting senior, it may t- obviously take several years, 
but you have to take that one step at a time in two to three year increments for every promotion opportunity you have over the course of your career. All right, John, this is really Thanks helpful. Work, John, John. John is the founder and CEO of Management Leadership for Tomorrow, a nonprofit that works to empower and elevate black and other people of color into leadership positions in order to close an economic disparities. John, thank you so much Thanks for, for having coming. me. All right, Kara, that was great. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, we'll do our wins and fails. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. What what are your wins and fails? Or shall I go first? Ladies first, as it as they say on Hunger Games. You go first. You go well, first. Well, you know, we were gonna talk in the stories this week. We got we have we had a long friend pivot interview, but um, you know, I think Ben Smith had, wrote a column in the New York Times about something we talk about all the time about Mark Zuckerberg's cozy relationship with uh, the Trump administration, uh, which I thought was interesting. What I am interested in is what is it going to do if Donald, I mean, after, not just after Tulsa, but Donald's numbers aren't looking great and he may pull it out. I mean, let's just add that in. But what is he going to do now, now that it looks like there's a possibility of, of a Democratic administration who seems more hostile to him and in, probably includes in some form Elizabeth Warren? Um, and then secondly, you see some advertisers uh, boycotting uh, Instagram and Facebook. Now, they're only doing it for July, like Patagonia, North Face and REI, when you do not buy coats. Um, so it's not going to have that much of an impact on this company. But that 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 to me is my uh my the continue the fail of facebook not to be more in down the middle with people and the the tight relationship with the trump administration which i would recommend listening to ben going to ben's uh column and reading because it's more of what we talk about all the time of course so that's my uh that's my uh, my fail i guess um and my win is reed hastings become once again acting like the mm-hmm. really just the the the, the kind of leader you want to see in tech He's pledging $120 million towards uh, U.S. historically yep. black colleges and universities. It's the biggest single donation to racial justice since the George Floyd yep. uprising started. It's it's actually substantive. It, it, it gets something done. Of course, you know, Netflix has also been very, uh, has been more diverse than most studios. So I think I think that was pretty great on Reed's part. Yep. Okay, what about you? Yeah, I love Reed. Uh, so my... Um my win is a woman named Rebecca Jones, uh, who Ooh. was a data scientist working for the state of Florida, oh, putting yeah, together what her. was at one point was was at one point considered a fantastic dashboard. And then mm-hmm. the uh, kind of 
the fish rots from the head, the governor here and basically the administration has decided to ignore what is the forest fire of poor citizenship and just, you know, ass, you know, head up your ass behavior that basically describes <laughs> Floridians at this moment yeah. who have decided that, okay, even though we have record numbers of infections, that we're going to just ignore it and put our most vulnerable at risk. And uh, Rebecca was put under uh, was put under pressure and asked to manipulate data. Or actually, that's not fair. She was asked to withhold data or portray it in a in a in a way that wasn't yeah. accurate. In other words, they were shine it up. With, shine they it were up. Specific, they were specifically reporting all the negative tests. You can take a test eight times, and they would report all those negatives. And if you test positive once. Uh, so it, the ratio of negatives to people testing positive really wasn't an accurate reflection. And she brought that up and she was basically, she was fired and she started her own dashboard. So I think she's a gangster. I love that kind of leadership. I, I love great. the pursuit I of truth. Her. Can I just say my mom, we're bringing her up from Florida and my mom is like typhoid Mary in the COVID department. Like she's, we've been trying to keep her <laughs> contained. Um, and yeah. so I was like, I went to that dashboard and was showing her the statistics for the county she's in, which is not great. They've risen, I think, nine to 15 percent. It was an incredible number. Um, she was like, oh, it's not here. And I'm like, actually, if you look at actual data, and I was using this without realizing that woman's name, but amazing job. That's a great win. That's, she's amazing. She deserves well, I like that. But the state so of Florida, yeah, of course, no, the governor's and, and, insane. And, well, and the, gov the governor's really, I mean, he really is. His mentor is the president. And in, in a racist trope, they're blaming the spike in infections and what is just a racist whistle call saying that it's immigrant workers in the in the western part of the state. So, you know, of course, they're blaming this on Mexicans when it's not. It's a bunch of mostly young, mostly white people who've decided that they don't really believe in the citizenship that's made this country great. So mm -hmm. I, I'm anyways, Rebecca Jones when? is is my winner, my fail is um, I think I don't I really don't Robin Hood announced some actions they're they're quote unquote putting uh, appointing a uh, committed to recruiting an option specialist in in the face of the death the suicide of a kid named we talked about this uh, uh, yeah. Alex Kearns who threw himself in front of a train after believing it was down seven hundred thousand dollars and they they've donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars to suicide prevention. And mm -hmm. I'm in the world of all signaling uh, my modest success. I'm committing to donating a quarter of a million dollars to the Jet Foundation or raising a quarter of a million dollars for the mm -hmm. Jet Foundation. It's this fantastic organization that empowers teens and young adults with the skills and support to grow into healthy, thriving adults. Wow. So, you know, Great. Robin Hood has raised $900 million, has a valuation of $7 mm -hmm. billion, Um and pledge a quarter of a million dollars to this problem that, you know, they are obviously, uh, you know, very concerned about, but also very complicit in. And so, mm -hmm. you know, my word to Robin Hood is big fucking deal. Big oh, fucking deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, shots fired. A quarter of a million dollars? Really? Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to match Robin Hood. I'm going to, mm -hmm. a professor from NYU is committing to raising a quarter of a million dollars as is Robin Hood, who's raised yeah. $900 million and has a valuation mm -hmm. of $7 billion. Well, aren't you, aren't you serious about this issue, Robin Hood? Well done. Mm. Anyways, that's my last I saw you wrangling online. I thought it was great. I saw you wrangling with several people, and I felt... I, I I feel like you're on the right side of this. It's ridiculous. It's it's kind of it's kind of insane that they're arguing about this, but again, it's another example of 
lack of accountability for their actions. It's just this, it's the same thing over and over and over again. In this case, it's, it's so obvious what's gone wrong here and it's their glitch. It's their mistake and they won't take a responsibility for it. And putting why, a bandaid on this is Why do we have an it. economy mm-hmm. where the richest white people in the world at the other end of that is a teenage girl or boy thinking about suicide? Yep. Well, how well, have we gotten here? Well, masks, everything. The same thing you were just talking about just a second ago. You know, it's the same idea of the governor of Florida putting people at risk, young people putting people at risk because they feel like they need to go and have a hurricane at a bar. I, it's ridi- It's just like I, I, this whole mask thing is just exhausting. You know, it's a, it's a big baby America that just has so selfish and homicidal and suicidal at the same time. That's what, you know, just like both. And it's, and it, and it's really quite disappointing. And it's such a small gesture of, of social solidarity. And in this case, uh, you know, this company reminds me quite a bit of the reaction Jewel had, you know what I mean? As I said, and others, but it's just, it's the same, it's the same lack of accountability. And I admire you and I support you, uh, in your effort and I will give you money. Also, I will give you money behind you it. You and I are going to host um, a fundraiser but, at my place in Florida, Kara. Okay. I've already decided. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll do whatever you need. Whatever you need. And I will slap back at, the at Jed, people who are giving Jed you The Jed Foundation. Time. Check it out. Okay. Jed Foundation. Check J-E-D it out. Foundation. Jed Foundation. Scott, I have, my admiration for you has Kara? risen 100%. 100%. It's gone from little just, to just a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like when you go into like this mode. I like when you go in this mode. I like it a lot. I think it's it makes you a better person. Signaling. I'm just trying to be more attractive to people who are more successful care. than me. I don't me. care if it's virtuous. It's still right. It's still right. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Scott, it's time to get out of here. I'll talk to you later All this right, week. Kara, what, what do you, you got looking forward? This week? What do you got going on? Oh, still in Vermont. Still in Vermont. But I like it here. I like it here. I do. It's so beautiful. I went nice. kayaking. I went uh, biking. I've been going biking every day, trying to... Biking on bikes is harder than, than on Peloton, can I just tell you? Just like I'm such bad shape. Um, but I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here and then I'm going to go back to DC and get ready, uh, to do working, be working and having good internet access actually, which is always a pleasure for me. Um, but, nice. but lots going on this week with my kids. I'm having a great time with them here and Amanda is wonderful and, and her family's house is very pretty. Um, anyway, so we will talk to you next, right. at, at later this week. Don't, there's lots of news, of course. Yep. Don't forget there's a story in the news. If you're curious about it, you want to hear our opinion on it, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com. We will talk about anything to be featured on the show. Scott, can you read us out? Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Fernando Finete engineered this episode. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. Thanks also to Drew Burroughs. Father's Day. My father is 90. He was a frogman <laughs> in the Royal Navy. He commuted to or came over to Canada on a steamship where he became a lifelong Maple Leafs fan. He's been married and divorced four times. And oh, he God. wears a mask. He swims every day and he takes a walk That's on the right. beach. And he wears a mask, and I would ask all of us, let's let's give our all our fathers the best Father's Day present, and let's wear a mask. All right, I like it, Scott. I like all the virtual signals that's going on here, but you're absolutely correct. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify, or frankly, wherever you listen to your podcast, and do a, wear a mask when you're doing it, okay? Just practice. That's if you right. liked our shows, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. That's